Hey, I'm really glad you're here. We're continuing our series that we've called Which Means, as we are trying to see God rightly. That it really matters that to see God as he is, has revealed himself in his word. And so often it's the case that we can reduce God down to manageable terms, that we can understand him. But when we do, we often, we often end up with a God who is not very glorious and not worth following. So we are trying to see God rightly in this series. So to begin, let's just pray and we'll go from there. Jesus, we thank you for all that you've done. Thank you that we can gather here on this, in this space, in this room, on this campus, on this night. Lord, we ask that you would show up as we look at you, as we desire to see you rightly, that you would open our eyes to see you clearer as you want us to see you for who you really are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. How many of you ever felt like overwhelmed? That's a word, overwhelmed, every single hand, great, yeah, this is human, overwhelmed. How many of you have like, really, like this is a daily thing? Okay, if you are, okay, that's normal, no, not really, but that's okay, cool. Uh, no, that was me, I, in college, I, I was overwhelmed. I was a freshman here at UWM at one point, and at the end of my freshman year, overwhelmed was, the, was a pretty good word to describe how I was doing. Um, and I was like, not just like, yeah, a little bit over, I was really overwhelmed with life. Like I really got to the end of my first year and felt what, and I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on in my life. Just to recap really quick what happened that first year. Um, I'm a three point, I was a 3.9 high school GPA kind of kid and first semester of college failed English 101. And that was great. Uh, struggled with that, and the whole time I fought it, I argued, I tried to show them I was good, and yet at the end of the day, I was like, I, I, I failed. And I was overwhelmed by the reality of it, and I had no control over it. On top of that, I ran cross-country here, so uh, that didn't go well. I had, <laughs> no, yeah, major flop, you know, major flop into D1 college athletics. Didn't go well for me. My body literally was overwhelmed by the immense intensity of the season and the training and the pressure and expectations that I crumbled. And I really didn't know what to do about it. I felt overwhelmed by the reality that my body couldn't handle this. What does that mean for me? It was also my scholarship. So how do I keep doing this thing that's just wrecking me? Which I ended up quitting after a year. And on top of that, I didn't get into the second year of architecture. I was studying architecture and I didn't make it into year two for a couple of reasons, and in that process of trying to figure out, well, there goes my dreams, all the ideas that I thought I was gonna do began to erode and crumble at, right in front of me. It's like, what, what am I gonna do now? What do I have in front of me? What's my future gonna look like? And on top of all of that, I was utterly overwhelmed by the reality that I had no good friends after my first year living in Sandburg, East Tower, 14th, South Tower, 14th floor. 14, yeah. It was rough. I was alone, and I really struggled. And I honestly, I was like, I have no idea how to change this. I, I felt overwhelmed, and I, like my life was not under control. And a few people gave me some wisdom, like, give it another year, try it again, live on campus. And honestly, the third semester was the worst. So I quit. I got dropped out of college because I was overwhelmed 
and I felt like I had no control over my life. Anyone been there? You felt that before? Just a few hands. We like to feel under control, don't we? We like to have life kind of like we got it. We're winning at life. We know what's going on. We feel like we can tackle the thing in front of us. But it is really fearful when that thing, when, when the things in our life begin to, begin to lose that like, sense of control. It's like we can't handle it, and that sense of overwhelming comes crashing in. It is fearful, right? And so we have to ask the questions of like, what do we do when we're feeling overwhelmed? What do we do when we f- feel like we're losing our idea of, of control in our life? And, and sometimes we have to ask the question, like, are we ever actually in control of our life? And I would actually, beg the, no, I don't think we actually are. But is there anyone in, in the control? And for me, as I was a freshman in college, I, I believed in Jesus, and I really wanted to follow him. But I started asking questions like, God, what, who are you? Why did you do this to me? Did you just pull the rug out of me? What are you doing? Don't you know, can't you see that my life's falling apart, right? Are you going to do anything about it? Can you do anything about it? And I had all these questions about who he was and if he could even help me in my state. And it leads us to this question of, is God able? Is God in control? And that's where I want us to examine tonight. Examine the idea that God has all power. He is infinitely great and his working in this world. Now, we could go to many passages in our Bible, um, and obviously we only have 20-some minutes here tonight, so we can't do everything. But there's a story I really want us to go to, and I think it's going to describe for us and get us to this place of seeing God in his magnitude, his power, in his infinite greatness. That's the idea. God is infinitely great, which means We're going to go there. Cool? So to do this, let's go to Mark chapter 4. If you have your Bible, go to Mark chapter 4. If you don't bring your Bible to Chi Alpha, you should bring your Bible. I like like bringing your Bible. Bring your Bible. Bring a journal. um, Or if you have it on your phone, open up your phone. It's great having it on the screen because it's nice. We can all read together. But there's something about it having it in your own hand that I think we can all engage. We can engage a little bit better um, with the Bible that you have with you that's not just on a screen. Um, So we're going to read in Mark chapter 4. Up to this point, a bit of context before I read it. Um, This is early on in Jesus' ministry. He's just kind of started going around. He's done some really cool healings and things like that. He's begun to teach in parables. As a lot of us know that the parables of Jesus are pretty cool, Um, sometimes a little confusing, but also really down to earth. And so Jesus has begun to teach that. Most of chapter 4 is all parables. And just to kind of, I didn't actually put this on the screen, but I want to read a couple of verses that kind of set the stage a little bit. Okay, so he's just taught a bunch of parables. And then it says in verse 33, it says, With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. So what, what's happening here is Jesus has begun to disclose who he is and what he's about. Right? He's teaching people, and he's giving them as many parables and pictures as they possibly can to understand who he is and his message. And then, after he does that with the crowds, he turns around with his disciples and tells them, like, this is, this is what I meant. This is what I meant about this. Here's what this means. Here's what this means, right? And he's explaining everything to his disciples. So at this point, though we're early on in Jesus' ministry, his disciples 
are beginning to get a sense of the message of who Jesus is saying he is. But this next scene is going to flip everything for them, for those disciples, because they're not going to just see a message from Jesus. They're going to see Jesus do something, and it wrecks them. So let's read in verse 35. It says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Little note about this is an actual story. There's witnesses, okay? Verse 37, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. But Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Verse 41, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Okay, so crazy moment. Jesus has been teaching, and his disciples call him teacher in this scene. They wake him by saying teacher, right? Now, quickly, the, some of his disciples, are prof they were professional sailors. Like, they were fishermen who worked on this sea, the Sea of Galilee. And this sea was known for having really quick big storms would come because of the geographical location and how the weather moved, like storms would all of a sudden hit and there'd be big waves and things that would happen really quickly. So these disciples were experienced working this boat or these boats on this sea with these storms. And here they are utterly overwhelmed. These are professionals who knew, I mean, if I was on that boat, I'm not an experienced sailor. I've, I've never been on a boat in a storm. I would be utterly terrified. I don't know about you, I'd be utterly terrified. You don't want me being the one trying to navigate through that storm. But these are the guys I would want. These are the guys who know what they're doing. And yet this storm in particular is so overwhelming that these professionals are utterly like, scared. They're terrified. They think they're going to die. Fear, right? Something else here, the sea. They're on, on the sea. There's some symbolism about sea and uh, in ancient uh, Israel and cultures in that area. Like, the sea was known as, like, the grave. <laughs> like, this is the treacherous place. No one, uncontrollable storms, right? You, nobody can tame the sea. And so people died at sea, and the sea was a symbolism for, like, the grave. And no one can overwhelm the sea. But here, Jesus comes up, and he shushes a storm and the waves and the wind and they and it's just calm like i mean that's what it says it immediately like if you ever watch storms where am i the lake that way the lake's over there right you ever been over over by the lake on the storm right and the waves are really big and then the storm moves on the waves are still going because that's kind of what happens there's a lot of movement going on it takes a while for those to calm all the way down but in this he he rebukes the wind and then quiets the storm and the wind. And everything is calm. And I would love to take time right now 
to like go look at some other stories that this resembles. And, and if you're taking notes, write down Jonah chapter one and go read Jonah chapter one and see the similarities between the two because it's amazing. I just love that story. But we don't have time for that tonight. That's not where we're going. This story is about Jesus saying something to his disciples. He knew that a storm was coming. And here they are in this moment. He's sleeping. I don't know how he's sleeping. Waves crashing onto the boat. He's sleeping. And they wake him. Teacher! Because that's how they saw him. And he gets up and he quiets the storm. What's interesting, though, as he is doing this, he's basically declaring to them that uh, no one can quiet storms. He's saying, I am God, by the way. That's what, they, that's what they would have understood Jesus to be saying in that moment. But it's interesting what the disciples respond with. Because they, they clearly, they go to him asking for help. Maybe it's just to like grow another hand to get us out of this. Or maybe they actually saw that he had some power because he's been doing some miracles. But here he does, he quiets the storm, everything, and sees. And then, if you notice their reaction, they're terrified. They were terrified before because their life was threatened. And now when Jesus quiets everything, it's peaceful, it's calm, and he turns to them and says, why are you afraid? They're utterly shocked and terrified, like, who is this? The wind and the waves obey him? And they're full of fear still. Isn't that interesting? Let's talk about fear for a minute. I think fear is really important because fear, right, Fear is, is about essentially acknowledging our finiteness because it's, it's essentially saying there's something that th- is threatening me, right? And it's God-given. We were given the, ex- the, the emotion, the, the feelings of fear out of, like, we need to protect ourselves, survival. These are written into us. So they're, they're good in that sense. But they force us to acknowledge that we are finite because something is threatening us and our safety, our livelihood, our life, right? On a, on a broad scale, right? That's essentially what fear says. We are finite. And so there is a sense of being over, overwhelmed. Something greater is in front of me or potentially, right? Fear. And here in this moment, the disciples are afraid. Now, not because of the storm, but because God is in the boat. And he has all this power and they're unsure what to do about that. And it's like they're like taking steps back of like, whoa, what did he just do? Can I trust this? This is crazy, right? God is crazy powerful. Now, for them, that was a really clear moment. That was the most powerful thing they could possibly see, and God does it. For us, I don't know if you feel the same way. If you saw God, I, mean, I would hope if you were out in the sea and there was waves and God just quiets everything and be like, oh my gosh, it's God. He's powerful. He's, he's, he's all powerful. But how do we know that this, he's actually in control of more than just the storms and the sea and the waves? How do we know that he's actually infinitely powerful? Can we know that? Well, the Psalm 33, Psalm 33, this is where I want to go because this Psalm is amazing. Psalm 33 brings us some really good language to describe that God is more than just a storm calmer. He does far more. Psalm 33, sorry, I'm getting there. I guess I should just read it on the screen, but I'll, no, I'll read it here. Um, just 
first few verses are about like, like let's sing joyfully to the for, to God with everything I got with skill. That's the first three verses, and then verse four it says, "The word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all He does." The psalmist is beginning to describe who God is and what He's like. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of His unfailing love. Remember that phrase. We're gonna come back to that. But verse six is where I want us to get to. Verse six: By the word of the Lord. The heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Basically saying, God spoke. He's, in, he's calling back to Genesis 1. God speaks, and the universe appears. Billions of galaxies just appear when he spoke, right? Uh, you know, the, the, there's a really good image by Louis Giglio. Um, it's called How Great Is Our God. And he says, if the earth was the size of a golf ball, so he has a little golf ball, like, find your place on the earth, right? Okay, this little golf ball, okay, we're really tiny. And then he, like, brings up all these stars, and he shows how big these stars are, and it's just mind-blowing how massive some of the stars in our galaxy are, that one earth, like, it's like billions of earths fit into one star. And it's crazy how small we are in this galaxy, and God just speaks, and billions of them are there. Just like pause for a second and just imagine, right? He speaks and galaxies are formed. What scale is God on? There's, there is no scale to comprehend that kind of being who is infinitely great that he can speak and billions of galaxies appear. Like we need to not brush over this verse too quickly because this is amazing and honestly a little utterly terrifying because he's that big. He is that powerful. But if we continue reading in this psalm, it says he gathers the waters of the sea into jars. Good imagery there of like he just literally puts oceans into jars. That's kind of the power, right? He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord, all the people of the world revere him for all of his power, right? Verse 9, for he spoke and it came to be no one can create something out of nothing, but he does. He commanded, and it stood firm. It's not just like he created it and it like winkered out. No, it's like it is there, and it's stable. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. That's not a him being a bully. That's just him saying nothing will stop him. Nothing will get in the way of what God wants to do. The plans of the Lord, verse 11, stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for in his inheritance. Verse 13, from heaven, the Lord, this glorious, infinitely great God, looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the heart of all, who considers everything they do. So this infinitely great God who speaks and billions of galaxies appear is the same God who looks down on the microscopic level and he forms hearts of all people, everyone, and considers everything they do. The, the magnitude. We have to hold both of these attention, how big he could speak in billions, right? But then the whole, how intricately detailed he is. Then he knows every one of your lives and every single life that's ever lived. 
But it continues, no king is saved by the size of his army, no warrior escapes his great strength, the horse is the vain hope for deliverance, despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, and on those who hope in his unfailing love. Notice that the psalmist doesn't use in his infinite magnitude and great, he says Unfailing love. That's the word he uses to describe what he just said about how massive and powerful this God is, is best articulated as unfailing love, infinite love. This God, who in all of his strength is described with unfailing love. Verse 19, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. This is the kind of God he does. He's a saving God. So verse 20, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Like, what this psalmist does is so cool, because he brings in this infinite greatness idea of God, and then shows us what he does with his infinite greatness. What he does is he's delicately unfailingly loving his creation and saving his creation with his power. To go back to the scene of the disciples, right? They're terrified in the boat because they're, they're confronted with someone who has all the power. He's right there in the boat. And that's pretty real. It's pretty human because we're afraid of people who have power, right? We don't, we don't, we don't want to get a job where the boss has like unchecked authority and power. That's a scary place for us, right? Because we know that absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? We, we don't want people to have power that is unchecked because we know people use it to hurt people. They use it to, to protect themselves. We, we use power out of fear to get what we want because ultimately we're finite. And whenever we're given power, that's really what we do. We use it to protect ourselves. Like, yeah, sir, hopefully we would, uh, as we're given authority in our healthy place, we would use it for the good of others. But we also know we use it to protect ourselves because we have fears. We are finite. And there are things out there that can and do overwhelm us. But God is not like us. If he is infinite, then nothing can overwhelm him. In his infinite power, there is no fear in him because there's nothing that can threaten him. So, if that's the case, he uses his power differently. He uses his power delicately. He uses his power to give with thoughtfulness, self-control, with love, patience, joy, kindness, like through the Spirit. That's a really good picture of how he uses his infinite greatness and power toward us. And if we were to go back again to that boat with those disciples, when Jesus calms everything and shushes it, right? And he turns to his disciples and says, why were you afraid? You still don't believe, right? It's as if he was saying, guys, don't you trust me with your life? Don't you trust? Even though I was sleeping, I'm I'm God, you know, like, I've got this, right? Don't, don't you trust me that even in the waves are crushing? And I, I mean, I've played in the waves in the ocean. Waves are crazy. 
Waves, when they crash on you, the power, the, oh my gosh, you can get thrown in. It's, yeah, scary. But yet Jesus is like, what, are you, what were you worried about? Just <laughs> kind of funny. And yet, what he's saying is like, don't, don't, don't you trust me with your life? And see, here's the deal. When you see God with all of his power, yes, it can be fearful, but when you see what he does with his power and how he moves, how he acts, it's utterly different. Think of it like this. I had this picture one time. This is a few years ago. Um, it was like the Holy Spirit gave me this picture of my own life. And I'm, I'm, but in the picture, I'm, I'm laying on a surgeon's table. This really fits with the song we sang, which is really cool. It wasn't planned, but it happened. Uh, I'm laying on the surgeon's table, and it's heart surgery. My chest is opened up. It's not like the gruesome like picture. It's in my head. It's like, you know, stylized. It's not bloody and gory. But like here I am. I, I'm looking. I'm seeing my chest is is opened up, and here comes the surgeon who who's God. He comes up and he he pulls out my heart, which is really an odd image. And like all these veins attached to it. And, and he's holding my heart. And like, I don't know about you, if you can imagine anything like that, the fear, the vulnerability of someone who has the power right there, just like, you're, you're gone, right? And I remember feeling like, ah, you know, like, what's, what's going to happen now? But in this picture, what I, as I like just watched, God began to, like, wash my heart. And, like, all of a sudden, there's, like, and now I'm seeing all this dirt and grime, scars and things, and he just begins to wash and heal my heart. And then he puts me back together and heals me. And the whole point of that picture was Jesus trying to help me see that, yeah, it can be scary to let me hold you. But you can trust me with my power. Because what I do with my power is different than whatever anyone else does with power. And so like that moment in the boat when Jesus turns to his disciples, says, what are you afraid of? It's as if he's saying, don't you trust me with your life? Won't you let me have control? Don't you trust that I have control of your life? And for us, the more you see the greatness of God in his infinite power and might and glory, and then watch what he does with that power, the more we can begin to say, I am not in control. But that's such a good thing. And we can yield, yield to him in his power. Now, that's the other thing with God. He doesn't come in and say, I'm in control, and he like knocks down the doors and tells you, this is what you got to do. Do this, do this, do this, right? He doesn't force anything on us. He comes in and says, hey, I see that, and I would like to help you. Will you let me? And he gives us his chance to say, nah, <laughs> right? Or like, okay, yeah, I need that. And yield Yield to him in his power and control. Not control because he's a controlling God, but control is in that actually he can actually hold things together where we can't. We like control. 
We like to take and make sure we're protected, control what people think or act, and we get angry, right? We, we want control of our circumstances, our situations, our future, our jobs. But God is asking, would you yield that to me? Because I can actually, I can actually hold it together. I actually know where you're made for and where you're going to go. Will you let me? Will you let me lead you? But there's still, there's still often hesitations. So we, are we really, are we really willing? Is he really trustworthy? And that's where we got to go back to Jesus. Because Jesus is a perfect, not only does he show us he has all the power, but he also models for us what it means to yield. Because as he walks, like literally Jesus came as a baby. Have you ever held a newborn? Anyone, anyone held a newborn in the room? It's like three. I never did until I was a dad, basically. There's a few of you. right? A newborn is so frail and fragile, so dependent, yet the God of the universe decided to come like that. He didn't come trying to show up all his power. He comes weak, small, dependent. And then he gives his life. He lives his life to showing, demonstrating who, what he's like. But then ultimately he is continually yielding to the Father to the point where we get to Gethsemane, the garden, the night he is betrayed and arrested and going to die the next day, he prays this prayer that is utterly amazing and crazy and just what we need. When do we see Jesus who says, I want this cup to pass from me. I don't want to have to do these so human. And yet he says, but not my will be done. Your will be done, Father. And he yields. He yields what God is going to do because he knows that God is good and he's trustworthy. And Jesus yields his life so that we could have life. Jesus is willing to say yes so that we could have life. And I love this because Jesus demonstrates for us the, own, the, the very command he wants us to do. He does it. He's not asking us to do something he's not willing to do. He, he has yielded his life. He shows us that the Father is trustworthy, that God is trustworthy with his power. Though he has all of it, he's trustworthy, and that is such good news. So the point of the sermon is that God is infinitely great, which means I don't have to be in control. God is infinitely great, which means I don't have to be in control. And maybe you're asking the question, what does it really mean to yield? And I think there's a few things here. One, it means start small. You don't have to like everything right away. Got to do all this stuff and it can feel, that can feel overwhelming all over again, right? But start with something. One thing, tonight, tomorrow, and yield something. Maybe what happens as you begin to see his greatness in all of this is it, it begins to transform your reactions to stuff. To yield to him is essentially to say, acknowledging him like, you're in control. Though I was surprised by what just happened, you weren't. So I'm going to trust you right now. Even though I want to do this, I trust you. 
And that completely transforms our reactions. See how good that would be? How many messes we make with just a reaction? But Jesus wants to transform us. And we don't become passive in that. We actually become more active in it because we can follow him and trust him and move and act with confidence. Yielding to Jesus transforms our reactions. And we can start small with little things. But if you're not quite sure what things you might think, a good question to ask, really, is, uh, is there <laughs> if you were to ask, is there anything I really hope he doesn't ask me to give up this? If you could, un- whatever that thing is right there that he comes to mind, that's a good indicator that maybe he wants you to begin to yield a little bit to him on that thing. Now, he's really trustworthy, right? He doesn't just take things away from us because he wants to, I don't know, take joy out of our life. He's a good God who, lo- who loves bringing joy. The more you see his power, the more you see his character, the more you can begin to yield with joy because you can trust him. That's at the heart of this. Where we can begin to, be act, to act like Jesus, who says, not my will, but your will be done. God is infinitely great, which means I don't have to be in control. So here's where I want us to end. I want to do two things really quick. The first one is, is just a response to acknowledging the greatness of God. And honestly, we've done, we've, we've said a few things. There's a whole lot more to say about his infinite greatness and power. But here's what I want us to do. I want to, honestly, I want us just to sit in silence for a minute and just make room for the fact that God is infinitely great. And if there is something that I said that you like caught your attention, then pull that back to your mind and then just ask God to show up. And even if nothing comes to mind, just sit in silence with the fact that God is in utter control. I want to do that for a minute. And then we're going to end with a couple discussion questions. Okay, is that cool? So we're just going to sit in silence for a minute. And like God, I'm going to pray quick as we do. Jesus, thank you that you have all the power and you are infinitely great. The, the magnitude, the scale that you're on is unthinkable, unfathomable. There is no scale for you. You are amazing, and the way you use your power is amazing. It's utterly impossible to us. We're so thankful. Would you meet us in this moment as we just make room for your infinite greatness in our own hearts?
God, would you continue to help us see just a little bit clearer, see you rightly in your infinite greatness and help us to see how we can trust you and how you use your power. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we go and before we wrap up, I would love to take a minute or two minutes or five minutes and with the people around you in groups of two or three, the hoodies might have to untie, I don't know, you're gonna have to do, but just like take a minute and I, w- I want you to respond quickly to those around you with a couple questions. And the first one, actually, I didn't write it on there, um, but is if God said anything or anything about his greatness, like just brought in that moment of silence, talk about that. But um, two things, um, what questions do you have about God's greatness or his use of his power? There's one. And secondly, what does it look like to yield your life to God? Now, with that second one, again, think small, think whatever, and wherever you are in the room, if this is something you're like, I'm not really sure I'm there yet, that's okay. Or if you're someone in the room, you're like, I, I like that, and I want to. Like, talk about that with the person around you, beside you. Tell them about that. Um, or if you've been doing this for years and years and years, we got a practice of being callous with how we yield. So this is a really good conversation to talk about how do we, do, how do we yield today our life to Jesus. Cool? All right, thank you guys. Uh, Yeah, discuss.